Scripture can be preached in a number of different ways. And I mean legitimately preached uh, in a number of different ways. All legitimate preaching begins with a careful examination of the biblical text to be preached. This week we are looking at uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 8, verses 31 through 59. Regarding that preparatory examination of the biblical text, the work that I do in my office and at home during the course of the week to get ready to stand up here in front of you on Sunday morning. Regarding that preparatory work, scholars make a distinction between what they call exegesis and what they call eisegesis. Exegesis and eisegesis are opposite ways of reading a text. Exegesis comes from the Greek word meaning to lead out. In exegesis, the person studying the text draws out of the text the meaning that lies in the text, the meaning that the writer of the text intended for his readers to understand. In exegesis, we discover the ideas and opinions and feelings of the writer. Eisegesis is the opposite. Eis is the Greek preposition meaning into, and eisegesis reads into the text the ideas Opinions, feelings of the reader. The text becomes a mirror reflecting the reader's own mind rather than a window into the writer's mind. Let me give you a homey example of exegesis and eisegesis. Modern couples often communicate with each other during the day using text messages brief notes that they type out on their mobile phones, typically these messages are short, and as a result, sometimes they are cryptic. You're driving home from work in the evening, and you receive a text message from your spouse, which reads, we have no milk. So what does that mean? The exegete will read this message and come to the conclusion that it means, please pick up some milk on your way home. But the eisegete will read the same message and come to the conclusion that it means, how could you be so thoughtless as to leave your family without milk? You are a poor provider. You're a horrible person and I don't love you. You can read out of the text or you can read into the text. Exegesis or eisegesis. Legitimate preaching begins with a careful exegesis of the passage under consideration. And every passage of scripture can legitimately be preached in many different ways. That's because any particular text is rich and deep with meaning. And no single sermon ever exhausts all of that meaning. Our text this morning records a conversation between Jesus and a group of his Jewish followers. Let us hear from the word of God, from the gospel of John chapter 8, verses 31 through 59. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin 
is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The child remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father and you do not, and you do what you have heard from your father. They answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the work Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You were doing the works your father did. They said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. The Jews answered him, Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it and he he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets, yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham, who died, and the prophets died? Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You are not yet fifty years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Almighty God, we need to hear a word from you this day. And we pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would speak. And we pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, we might hear. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you think of our reading this morning as a drama, then this play has 
three separate acts. The first act, in the first act, we hear Jesus tell the Jews that the truth will set them free. And in the second act, the Jews challenge Jesus, insisting that they already are free because they have Abraham as their father. And Jesus replies, your father is the devil. And then in the third, and in the third act, Jesus, uh, the Jews accuse Jesus of having a demon. And Jesus replies, before Abraham was, I am, using for himself the very name of God, Yahweh. Upon hearing this, these Jews, these people who had believed in Jesus, pick up stones to kill him. And the curtain drops. Now, there is a lot packed into this drama, into this passage. Some of it is mysterious, some of it is strange, some of it is sublime. But this morning, I want to go small rather than big. I want to focus our attention on just the first four verses and also then on verse 39. We will let the larger mysteries echo in the background as we zoom in on just a portion of what this passage reveals. So let's reread that more restricted text beginning at verse 31. Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are the offspring of Abraham, and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say, We will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. And then in verse 39, Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works Abraham did. In this back and forth exchange, Jesus contrasts being a slave to abiding in his word, to being his disciple, to knowing the truth. And on the opposite side, the Jews contrast being a slave with being the offspring of Abraham. As far as I can tell, no one wants to be a slave. Everyone wants to be free. Everyone wants to believe that they are in control of their lives, that the decisions that they make belong to their own will. Everyone wants to believe that they have their destiny in their hands. According to the Jews of this story, freedom is their birthright. They were born free people, and they have never been enslaved. They can do whatever they want to do. They are free to shape their own destiny. In this way, they are like us Americans. We love to think of ourselves as free people living in a free country, land of the free, home of the brave. But according to Jesus, freedom is freedom from the practice of sin. And that freedom comes from being his disciple. It comes from abiding in his word. It comes from knowing the truth. Jesus says that these Jews he's speaking to are slaves to sin, are not as free as they imagine themselves to be, are not living the way that Abraham lived. In scripture, Father Abraham is held up as this great model of faith for all people. 
He's held up as a model of righteousness because of his simple, trusting obedience of God. A righteousness that's not connected with the law, not connected with the law of Moses because Abraham lived before the law was given. Genesis 15.6 tells us Abraham believed the Lord and the Lord counted it to him as righteousness. In Hebrews chapter 11, the great faith chapter, the chapter in the New Testament that marches a parade of saints from the Old Testament who lived by faith, we read these words about the patriarch. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place that he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. By faith, Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered God faithful who had made the promise. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. Abraham's faith is a trusting obedience. If God said it, he believed it. If God commanded it, he did it. And because of that trusting obedience, Abraham was counted righteous in the eyes of God. And he was made the father of a great nation. And he was the blessing to all of the people of earth. Jesus says to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. The kind of freedom that Jesus is talking about is freedom from sin. Jesus says, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Now most of us think, and the world certainly thinks, that freedom is the, is permission. Permission to do whatever you will, permission to do even those things that some old sourpuss might think are sins. Back in straight-laced Victorian days, all kinds of sinful behavior were not permitted. They were strictly illegal. They were vigorous, vigorously suppressed. But now, in our freewheeling times, we've thrown off those strictures. We're, we've become more open-minded. We've let down our hair. These days, anything goes, and it seems that everyone is having a whole lot more fun. Most of us think of freedom as permission to sin. But here Jesus talks about freedom as the habit of avoiding sin. Most of us think of freedom as freedom to sin, but Jesus understands freedom to be freedom from sin. I think that all of us understand that some patterns of sin are distinctly unfree or a kind of slavery. If you abuse your body and your mind and your spirit by using heroin or other addictive drugs, it's pretty clear that your behavior is not only sinful, but is a kind of slavery. It's something that you're stuck in and it's very difficult to get out of. Slavery works by compulsion. If you're a slave, you are compelled by threat of violence or death to work for someone else without pay. There is still slavery today. It is legal in some places. In other places, it is illegal. But we need to tell the truth that slavery continues. There continue to be people who are compelled by threat of violence and death to work for someone else without pay. But not all compulsions come from the outside. Some compulsions come from the inside. Drug addictions certainly work that way. 
The addict feels compelled to use the stuff that he knows is no good for him, but he feels like he just can't stop himself. And then there are those of us who fall victim to less obvious compulsions. Those of us who can't hold our tongues when we know that we should. Those of us who gossip and stir up dissensions when we know that we shouldn't. Those of us who ignore our responsibilities and our work to our own detriment. Those of us who take the easy way when we know that another way is right. I'm talking about those situations in which we know the right thing to do and we actually need to do the right thing, but for some crazy compulsive reason, we do just the opposite. We do the thing that we shouldn't do and we leave undone the thing that we know that we should do. There's something weirdly compulsive about those moments, something perverse you might say. Those are are the times when you say to yourself, I know I shouldn't do that. And then you do it anyway. Paul talks about this feeling in Romans 7.15 where he writes, describing his own experience, I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. That's compulsion. That is unfreedom. That is slavery. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. And Jesus says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So, how does this truth set us free? If you've ever been frustrated with yourself, if you've ever thought to yourself, why in the world do I keep doing this same dumb thing? If you have ever wanted to be free, then this is a very important question. How does the truth of the gospel set us free? Well, I want to point out that there are two facets or two sides to the truth of the gospel. And I want to look at them separately. The first side of the gospel is the truth that no one is righteous. No one is good in the sight of God. Isaiah 64, 6 puts it this way, all our righteous deeds are like polluted garments. We all fade like a leaf and our iniquities, like the wind, take us away. The Apostle Paul talks about this at length in Romans chapter 3 where we read, all people, both Jew and Greek, are under sin, as it is written. None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks God. All have turned aside. Together they have all become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of snakes is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God in their eyes. Paul says that sin is universal. He says that all of us are far from God, that by our very nature we're heading down the wrong path. Believe it or not, but that truth is part of the good news. It's part of the gospel. Until we wake up to the truth that we are actually a mess, 
we will remain exactly where we are until our eyes are opened up to what we actually sound like and act like and look like. We won't even bother to look for ways to change. The first truth of the gospel is we have a problem. As Paul writes in Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The second truth of the gospel comes fast on the heels of that first truth in Romans 3.22 where Paul tells us that what God does about this problem. Listen to Romans 3.21-25. through 25. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. There is no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. In this passage we see two truths glued together. Two truths that make the good news of the gospel. Truth number one, you are a sinner. Seriously, you really are. And truth number two, by a free gift from God, you can be justified. And justified means made not a sinner. In John eight thirty five and 36, we heard Jesus say, The slave does not remain in the house forever. The child remains forever. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. That's a little compact image with a very deep theological truth. The house is God's house. The slave might spend some time working in the father's house, but it really doesn't belong to him. The slave isn't part of the family, but the child. The child is different. The child gets to stay forever no matter what because the child is part of the family. When Jesus, the Son, sets us free from sin, from slavery to sin, we are free indeed because we become children of God. No longer are we slaves moping around the house of God. We are now sons and daughters with all of the rights and privileges that go with having God as our Father. Truth number one, we're born slaves to sin. Truth number two, We can become children of God by faith in Jesus Christ. The blood of Christ is a propitiation, sacrificial payment for our sin. It is a gift that is offered by God because God is a gift-giving kind of God. And we can receive that gift in faith. Truth number one, you are a sinner. You were born that way. Sin is in every cell of your body like your DNA. Truth number two, you don't have to stay under the curse of sin. You don't have to be a slave to sin if you will place your faith in Jesus Christ. Now I hope you hear the basic gospel around here often enough. I hope you understand it. Each one of us violates God's unchanging laws. Those violations are called sins and those sins damage us. They injure what God has made and what God loves. Our sin makes us and our world uglier and more chaotic than God ever intended it to be. Our sin also brings with it divine wrath and punishment because God loves this world and he's not happy 
when we damage it or mess it up. And so sin brings with it not only the natural consequences, but also divine retribution. That's the one side of the gospel. The other side is, is that God loves us so much that he devised a special plan to deal with this sin. He sent his son into the world to live a perfect life, a sinless life, and then to die on a cross bearing the penalty of our sins. By faith in Christ, we have union with Christ and the record of his perfect life is credited to us by God and the blood that he shed on the cross washes away our sins. Those two sides of the gospel hold together. The first truth, a recognition of our own sin and slavery. The second truth, a recognition of God's loving sacrifice on our behalf. The late Jack Miller, founding pastor of the New Life Presbyterian Church in Glenside, is often quoted as having said, Cheer up! You're a worse sinner than you ever dared imagine. And you're more loved than you ever dared hope. Jesus said, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. And Jesus said, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. It doesn't matter if you have Abraham as your father. It doesn't matter what your religious pedigree is. If we abide in the word of Christ, we will know the truth and the truth will set us free. So here's my question for us today. How are we doing with that? Are we feeling free in Christ? Do we know the truth of the gospel? Are we abiding in, lingering in, meditating on the word of Christ so that it seeps down into our bones? Even those of us who have been converted need to preach the gospel to ourselves. There are people who are not converted who need to hear the gospel and need the light to go on so that they receive Christ's free gift. There are people who have already done that but who are walking around in the darkness because somehow they don't believe the thing that they really believe. And so we preach that gospel to ourselves. We remind ourselves what it is that Christ has done for us. And because what it is that he's done for us, our sin is gone and passed in the mind of God. We're no longer slaves. We're no longer bound by those things. But we are children of God. Beloved by God. Adored by God. God takes delight in us as his children. Redeemed people. It's amazing. It's good news. And it's true. Let us pray. Father God, we love you and we adore you. And we thank you that you loved us even before we loved you. Lord, we confess that when we look at our lives with open eyes, we see a lot of stuff that is not the way that it should be. And sometimes we even know the things that we should do. And perversely, we do just the opposite. Lord God, we confess that we have been born in slavery to sin and We just turn to you and we pray that by your amazing grace you would set us free from from that slavery. That you would allow us to live into the light of the gospel. That we would recognize that the shed blood of Christ on the cross pays for our sins. So that we don't have to be trapped by by that stuff anymore. Lord, we pray that you would give us a spirit of adoption. No longer a spirit of fear. Not a fear of you because we're afraid of judgment, but 
but a recognition that we are your sons and daughters. Lord, I pray that you would grow up in our heart an awareness of this truth that you have adopted us as your own. Lord, I pray that we might love you as our Father, that we might reciprocate the love that you show to us as your children. I pray that we might love you because you loved us first. Lord, I pray that you would you would make these things happen by the power of your Holy Spirit. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. But thanks be to God.